1: A heads-up to Audiobook Club listeners, for our next meeting on April 25th, we'll be reading Moonwalking with Einstein, a nonfiction title about the limits of human memory by Joshua Foer. So get reading, but not until you've enjoyed this discussion of Swamplandia. This episode of the Slate Audiobook Club is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to squarespace.com slash slate.
0: Hello and welcome to the Slate audio book club for March 28th. We are going to discuss Karen Russell's new novel, Swamp Landia. Big exclamation point at the end of that title. I'm here with Hannah Rosen, Slate's double X editor, my co-conspirator, and John Dickerson, Slate's political correspondent, chief guru in all things. Hey guys. It's hi.
1: Cool. I want to be called the chief in the context of this. He's book. your
0: co-conspirator too, in a different way. It's true. You guys are both my co-conspirators, and I'm so lucky in that. So I'm hoping one of you is going to give a nice kind of opening summary of the plot of this book, or at least sort of what you took as the main theme of this book. Perhaps we can start there. I will
2: start. I am going to say outright that I recognizing all the flaws of this novel, really, really liked it. And so that's going to color my summary, and I'm going to put myself out there for you guys to criticize and take me down. This novel is told through the eyes of a preteen girl whose name is Ava, and her family goes by the name of Big Tree, and her father, who is Chief Big Tree, and they run an amusement park that's essentially an alligator swamp called Swamplandia, and thus the title of this novel, and thus the exclamation point in this novel. And the novel is about how Ava, who's coming into adulthood, starts to learn the truths about her family, the truths about alligator wrestling, and how the family mythology, which has been so painstakingly built up by her father, Chief Bigtree, and her mother, Big Bigtree, who dies quite early in the novel, all starts to unravel. And we see this through her eyes. And I think it's quite wonderful novel. And I'm actually very moved by this theme of reality and unreality of the mythology breaking down. The idea of telling what I think is a very universal truth, both about coming of age and about human life in general through such a quirky, eccentric set of characters really moved me. But we're starting too deep into the novel. Emily, can you tell 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 us a little bit about what you thought about the family dynamics early on in the novel. Do you find them to be believable? Were you drawn in by this set of eccentric characters? And you can just say who the characters were, too.
0: Right. So let's outline this a little bit. Ava has an older sister named Osceola and an older brother named Kiwi. And they've grown up on Swamplandia, on this alligator-ridden island. They've been homeschooled there by their mother, Halola Big Tree, and their father. And then there's a grandfather charmingly named Sawtooth. And the family, you know, they do a little bit of book learning, but mostly they're out there taping the jaws of alligators shut and taking care of these 98 alligators and hanging out together and practicing their very campy show. I mean,
2: their campy show just moved me to no end. It involves Halola big Tree, who's a fairly somber and somewhat beautiful. She's not described as being sort of excessively, mythically beautiful, but the beauty is in the act and how she stands on this diving board and her father's love. Chief Big is expressed through this spotlight which follows her. This becomes a metaphor for love later on in the novel. And she dives into the alligator swamp and the crowd gasps. And that's basically the campy nature of swamp. And then
1: swims through. And then swims through the
2: alligators. Right, right, right.
0: I actually really love the opening passage of this book. This book has some lovely writing in it. And this is an example. John, do you have the book in front of you? Would you read a little bit from the very beginning?
1: From the very beginning. Oh, my gosh. It's a public reading. Our mother performed (laughs) in Starlight whose innovation this was I never discovered. Probably it was Chief Bigtree's idea, and it was a good one. To blank the follow spot and let a sharp moon cut across the sky unchaperoned. To kill the microphone, to leave the stage light's tin eyelids scrolled and give the tourists in the stands a chance to enjoy the darkness of our island. To encourage the whole stadium to gulp air along with Swamplandia's star performer, the world-famous alligator wrestler, Hilola Bigtree.
0: Yes. That yes, was super. Halola. You are such a good reader out loud. I want you to come read bedtime stories at my house. You asked a question, Hannah, about the relationships among the characters and how how real they felt, how compelling they are. I will start out by saying that I found Halola Bigtree to be quite underdeveloped in the book. She plays this incredibly important role. She's the linchpin of this family mythology, which you're right, is an incredibly important part of the book. And I don't think it's giving too much away to say that she dies of cancer fairly early in the book. And as a result, we only see her through Ava's eyes remembering her. And I found the picture that emerged to be quite fuzzy. What do you guys think about that?
1: But I thought that was kind of the point is that that she is a creation. I mean, since this whole book is about myths, the myths we tell ourselves, the sustainability of those myths, even when they're punctured, you need her to exist almost entirely. As a myth, either in Ava's eyes or on the posters that you hear about, in the museum they have at home, everybody has their little piece of the mother. Ava has the memory of her and Ava wants to be an alligator wrestler like her mother. She obviously feels the tug the most strongly. Kiwi has her the poster of his mother when he leaves uh, Swamplandia. He has the poster of her that is in his dorm room. Asi wears her wedding dress when she goes off to follow her ghost.
2: One of the things I really liked about this novel is the, the changing relationships with the tourists. I promise I'm coming around to John's point here. What you learn is that, you know, they hate the tourists at first. They're disgusting. They leave things. They're annoying. You know, they feel about the tourists sort of the way a waitress feels about her clients. And then over time, they come to miss and love the tourists and connect with them in a new way. And you realize that they didn't, the, the p- bits and pieces that they have and construct of their mother are not radically different than the bits and pieces that the tourists have and construct about Halola Big Tree, that they're really piecing together a myth and trying to discover the truth of it, and using costumes such as a wedding dress and posters, they, they're hanging on to the same things that the tourists are hanging on to, but they're just imbued with so much more emotion than they are for the tourists. So I thought that was really quite a lovely thing, is to make Halola Big Tree this absent. You need the mother to be dead, basically, for this novel to take off.
1: Then the question is, what do we think of the other three, the three kids, and then, well, and then I guess the chief And their also. father. And the father. I felt like, you know, Ava, we can talk about her. She's obviously the core of this book, and there are two different ways you can relate to her, both as a narrator and then as a character. But we can talk about that later. I thought she, you know, was obviously the most fully realized. And
0: she's a typical kind of building German protagonist, right? We're watching her at this cusp of if not adulthood, this kind of liminal moment into becoming a more grown-up, fully realized person. She's
2: quite wise. She occasionally breaks voice, Karen Russell does. She occasionally gives her too much knowledge about, say, the Army Uh Corps of Engineers or, you know, a rant about what's been done to Florida swamps. But for the most part, I feel like her voice is the voice of the classic you know, coming of age protagonist and Kiwi and Aussie fit around that as, you know, not stock, I wouldn't say, but Kiwi is a kind of overly cynical, sees too hard through the myth, and Asi is completely destroyed and launched into fantasy land in a kind of demented way. And so, you know, one is up in the air, one is firmly grounded, and eventually that doesn't ultimately matter in terms of their fates, but that's what they serve as as bookends to Ava.
1: The interesting thing about the choice of the narration, there are two narrators. There's Ava and then there's the omniscient narrator. Asi never gets her own voice. Yes, She's always told through Ava, which is a which is an interesting choice, and relegates her to the sort of third-rate status. If Hilola is in fourth-rate status, in terms of how fully developed Osceola is, is in third. Kiwi gets his own omniscient narrator and so he – what's interesting was interesting to me is Ava's voice is like Ava. It's too knowing in some cases and then totally naive in others and she is strong enough to wrestle alligators and yet totally naive about so many other things. And so I felt like there were times when it would switch from the omniscient narrator to Ava's voice and you'd say this is essentially the same voice. But then it was clear that that Russell was trying to do this thing I felt that matched both Ava's development – which is sort of in one case, these super developed muscles and these other weak ones, the voice kind of matched that, which I thought was... Pulled off in some cases, and if not pulled off fully, was a pretty clever attempt, and you know, uh, so a for effort.
2: That's very generous. I mean, I wouldn't say a lot of that was conscious. That you'd get sliding back and forth sometimes between omniscient and Ava in a way which wasn't extremely controlled. But I'm not going to be the skeptic here because Emily, I'm sensing that <laughs> you're the skeptic here, and that what you said about the mom was just a sort of petulant way to get into your skepticism. Petulant. And so just have you're calling it out. me
0: petulant. Well, she's really... dead,
2: honey. Like give <laughs> her a, break. To have a
0: fight. Anyway, so go ahead. Right, if I'm going to criticize the dead mom, exactly. why am I not going to go after her? Yes, I wanted to like this book much more than I actually did. I found the the plot to be quite contrived at various moments and in a way that felt to me like I could feel the machinery moving. And that put me off. My biggest complaint has to do with the use of ghosts in the book, which I'm eager to hear your opinions of. And Hannah, you better come up with one rousing defense for it. But in my own view, and now I believe I am stealing a line from John Dickerson, if you're going to use ghosts, you have to really, you like, you better make something of them. Because once they show up, we're a little skeptical, as long as we're not in Harry Potter land. And this is not Gabriel Garcia Marquez here, or even Toni Morrison. I was trying to think what other authors to pull into the discussion. And those are both writers who in their magical realism justify the use of the supernatural, I think, over and over again. Whereas the ghosts here just annoyed me. And we should explain what the ghosts are doing, I suppose. Don, can you do that? And I, I hope you're going to second me here. And if not. Go ahead.
1: I agree, especially since you quoted me. I can't possibly climb down from that now. (laughs)
0: Yes, that was a good trick I pulled. Well, obviously, the
1: the biggest and most important ghost is the mother, right? But she doesn't play a walk-on role like Lewis Thanksgiving. Lewis Thanksgiving was a, a worker on a dredge that was clearing out the swamp who died in the most extraordinary way, which I don't really even still. There was an explosion on the dredge. I'm well, we
2: don't know if Aussie made don't know that how story. We yeah, exactly. we don't know anything don't, about it. I love the ghost, and don't I'm going to get to anyway, that. Anyway, Aussie yes. falls in
1: love with Aussie falls, <laughs> <laughs> uh, falls in love with Louis. Aussie falls in love with Louis Thanksgiving, who may or may not exist. So she falls in love with him, and she goes off to see him. And do we give away what happens in the very? Yeah, end we or give no? away everything okay. in the book
0: club. All right. Well, <laughs>
1: so there's a huge chunk of the book that is Ava going after to find Aussie, and she takes this. Trip with this man uh, known as the Birdman, who, by the way, by the way, to the extent that everybody has mythologies, right? The Birdman at one point, Ava says, tore off his last name. So did Lewis Thanksgiving. So did the family. The Big Tree family is originally from Ohio, but they throw away their their uh, heritage and become, you know, essentially sort of quasi so like Indians. So like all, yeah, it, go, pretend Indians. So everybody in the book has a kind of identity that they've mixed and matched and played around with, and so the Birdman is like this as well. They go off. On this hunt into what's supposed to be the underworld, and uh, after Aussie, who's run off with uh, Lewis Thanksgiving, and then I guess the third ghost is the washerwoman with a line, and I can't remember her name now.
0: The Swamp Mama, the Swamp I Mama,
1: think. yes, the Swamp Mama. Who well, I thought um, she was real is real, but again, it's this whole. It's but the she's ghost, a the ghost, ghost too. But she. But that's the thing is that okay, so so Ava thinks that this woman, the Swamp Woman, is a ghost and has harmed her sister, and so it's in a moment of distress, um, which we can get to more fully in a minute,
0: having to do with the laundry.
1: Right. And so she freaks out and then later it's revealed that this woman in fact was just a woman who picked up the clothes that had freaked Ava out. She picked them up because Ossie had lost her bag in the water. So they went down the river. This woman picked them up, put them Wait. on the clothesline.
2: I- I'm going to interrupt your plot summaries here because <laughs> the thing that you guys are purposely leaving out in order to make this plot seem absolutely absurd is that Ossie who is falling in love with a series of ghosts is mentally ill. And that's one of the things I really liked. I am not a fan of magical realism. I don't have that much patience for it. But in this case, you have you know a girl who is deeper into her sexual awakening. There are moments when her sister is clearly masturbating and Ava doesn't realize it. Her sister experiences these moments as a kind of ecstasy. But she's also stuck in this isolated place where she's essentially been spottily homeschooled for most of her life, and she's going slowly mad. She's clearly a young schizophrenic or something. She has mental delusions, which she experiences as these ghosts. And I was so moved by by the story of Louis' Thanksgiving bliss I, I actually... But where
0: does it come from? From if he's not real,
2: she's Hold mentally wait, ill. Wait, 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 is, where voice you, is it in? It's well, Aussie is making up a story that's confusingly just like the confusion between the omniscient narrator. It's a little bit confusing. She's crossing into the omniscient narrator. It's becoming larger than Aussie. I mean, one of the things that happens is in the way myths get out of control, and in the way, kind of, you know, the myth of the chief big tree gets out of control. Myths and and reputations kind of balloon in this novel, and then they get punctured. And they kind of take on a life of their own and then they get instantly deflated. And we'll talk about what happens when they get deflated and what's on the other side of the myth when we get to talking about Kiwi, which is the latter half of the novel. But essentially we don't know where that story comes from. We don't know if Ossie read it in one of her books in the floating library because she does fall in love with – Actual dead people who are part of the town mythology. We don't know if she just kind of became enraptured with this rusty dredge boat that they found, and so she invented this entire myth, but she's captivating Ava. This is a kind of test of wills between sisters where Ossie is making up a story so fantastic and full of so many rich details. There's a tension between Ava, do you believe me or not? And that becomes a kind of test of love. And also, sexuality and madness are linked in this book in so many ways that I thought that it really gets encapsulated. There's a line about Louis Thanksgiving Auschenblitz, who's out working in the swamps and is like delighted to be out working in the swamps. I mean, this made-up person, and she says he was trying to make his past into good theater. Lots of novels do this, right? They have a kind of mini narrative within the narrative, which encapsulates the themes of the entire novel, as does his story. You know,
1: Ava buys the story. Thoroughly. So thoroughly that she then spends, you know, 150 pages seeking Aussie, who she thinks has gone down into the underworld. So perhaps she does buy, you know, so she it's an act of love for her. I'm not sure whether the mental illness part of it, because Ava takes it so seriously, I kept looking for another you know, I kept looking for s- trying to figure out this is more than just a sister going after her crazy other sister.
0: Well, I was willing to go for that part of it. But my problem is that this story about Louis Thanksgiving is filled with all this incredibly rich historical detail. I did not believe for one second that Osceola could have told the story. There's nothing in the book that leads us to think she is this kind of storyteller. She's carrying around this, like, ridiculous Ouija board, if that's how you say that word. And- Ouija, honey. Ouija. Didn't you Ouija? grow up in a set? What kind of slumber parties did you go to? What were you doing at your <laughs> slumber parties? It's a Ouija board. We were too be- busy playing. What's that game? Light as a feather, dry as a bone. We didn't have Ouija boards. You were playing hockey. (laughs) Hockey. (laughs) That's my children. But, you know, she has this, like, spiritist handbook that she's not reading Depression-era history, which is what this is. I felt like the author got a little carried away in terms of what her own excitement about this Depression narrative she created. It's really compelling, and I love stories within stories, but they—I'm sorry, I'm just being the dunderheaded literalist here. They can't spring fully formed from the mouths—
1: But in a book about the power of myth— I thought it no, was No, I don't okay. care.
0: The power of myth does not excuse this for me. I was not, I felt like repeatedly this book was. Asking me to excuse flaws in it because yeah. of the power of myth. And I just I – I'm sorry. I think that's fair. OK. Now, speaking of the power of
2: myth, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. If only Louis Thanksgiving had had a website. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to Squarespace.com slash Slate. Squarespace.com is the fast and easy way to create and manage a high-quality website or blog. If only Swamplandia had had its own website, they might, might still be around today. It might not have fallen apart as a theme park. Create a website. That's unique to you to display your photos from Flickr, a blog you've been thinking about starting, or the tweets and RSS feeds you like most, all in the design and colors of your choice. Whatever you want to communicate, you can say it easily and with style with Squarespace. And they have an iPhone app, which makes it easy to update your site on the go. Try it out today for free. Visit squarespace.com slash slate and sign up for their free trial. Then choose a design template to get started. No credit card needed. Just give it a try to build your website. That's squarespace.com/slate to sign up for a free trial. We thank Squarespace for their support. Okay, let's get back to the show. There was no internet in this, by the way. I was thinking about that. Like, like I don't know what year this novel was supposed to take place, but there's a great moment where she's trying to figure out whether the alligator wrestling competition ever happened, and I was like, Ava, Google it, honey. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just look online, and it will answer your question they for you. They do not
0: but... have the internet on that island. Well, that was <laughs> they the other thing. Is telephone, that... and that,
1: but that was also the the. Beauty of the island, in some ways, which is that its sense of it out of time. I mean, it was completely an island. It was an island in in time, an island physically, you know, their own little world. So it was. you could imagine that the internet existed constantly on the mainland, but that they just hadn't gotten that far yet.
0: One of my favorite details in this book is that the family has erected a museum to itself on the island, and so all of its possessions are suddenly historical artifacts. They're the stuff of legend, and then they start taking things back out of the museum when they need a birthday present or whatever. I thought that was a kind of lovely rendering of the mythology. So, Emily, since you are not captured by the
2: myths the way I am and John Halfway is, why don't we move on to when they start <laughs> to oh, puncture nice the myth? Oh, nice claiming myths. of John there. No, half. <laughs> it works this way. Half, half. Yeah. <laughs> half. I said half. He's not as skeptical. Anyway, John can speak for himself. Let's move on to where they start to puncture the myth, which is essentially the, the, the way that this novel moves. In this moment where you have Ossie falling in love with the dredge man and deciding she's going to marry the dredge man and that he is the one. You have three other simultaneous moments of sexual awakening going on. One is uh, Ava's horrible one with the bird man. That's where my skepticism comes up. I know why it was necessary for was that kind of sexual necessary. moment to happen, but I, I really did Whoa. not buy Wait. And then there was Kiwi with the girl who he supposedly rescues in the theme part, who's kind of like a bratty, you know... Pippa Middleton sort of society girl with brown hair who you know insists on sleeping with him because he rescued her from the pool. And it's a sort of reality TV. That's when you're taken into the real, real world with Kiwi. So do you want to talk about what happens to... Ava and the Birdman first, or do you want to talk about uh, Kiwi? Well, I also
0: think we need to set the stage here a little bit. One of the key parts of this book is that not only has the mother died, the father disappears. He goes off to the mainland, presumably to get, and in fact, to earn money, leaving Ava and Osceola by themselves on the island because Kiwi, the older brother, has already left. And that splintering of the family is crucial to what actually happens, right? And the
1: father took those trips even when the mother was alive, and later Later, Kiwi learns that this is another puncturing of the myth, the idea that Swamplandia was itself a going concern when the mother was alive. The father was still having to make these trips into town to work as a sort of uh, like a barker in a cut rate sort of casino. casino slap yeah. But he sort of ran this icky beauty contest. I want to ask you guys though about the sexual uh, – so Ave is raped by this guy, the Birdman who comes to – tend to the birds on the Swamplandia property, and she enlists his help in finding Osceola in the trip down into the underworld, and he takes her on a long trip, guiding her and telling her about the dangers going into the underworld, and then finally, he rapes her. Now, I saw that coming the minute we met the bird man. Of course. In fact, it was excruciating
0: that it took so long. Exactly.
1: So that, I felt, was a huge clunk, like (laughs) a thud coming down in the middle of the book, Although the rendering, back to the language quickly, her description of the rape, Ava's narration of the rape, I thought was yes. uh, amazing in terms of being strange, peculiar, out of body. I mean obviously I have no, no, no you know, firsthand knowledge with this, but it rang you – know, there were lots of other places where the language didn't ring true at all and in this case it felt – I was completely in that moment. And there were a couple of other uh, – I felt that with the drowning scene too. But anyway.
2: I felt horrible. I, I felt like you did. So essentially I almost knew it was coming but I really hoped it wasn't going to happen because the Birdman was so thoroughly asexual that I knew that when it did happen, it was not going to be believable. On the other hand, you know, I had the same experience almost as Ava. Ava is sort of drawn to the Birdman even after it happens as her only – she's a kid for one thing. So she feels some obligation towards adults to follow what they say still because she's still a kid. And she's also needs him. I mean, she's out there in the wilderness. She needs he's created this whole notion that they're in the underworld. So she feels terrified. And he's the only person who's been her protector. She's polluted with him. she barely has parents at this point. She barely has parents. She's lonely. And she says she loves, you know, she's she's kind of fallen in love with him as some kind of crazy father figure. And so I really, really didn't want to happen. But then, like John said, the way it happened made me, you know, I really didn't want it to happen. But then the way it happened was so kind of weird weirdly right and beautiful and bizarrely so that I, that I felt icky even having that feeling but it's true. I mean, the one thing that I thought was amazing is when she hears her mother's voice. I mean, speaking of the perfect use of ghosts, you know, she looks at the birdman's face the moment before it's going to happen and this is amazing and she says, I didn't, I couldn't remember how to see this face as friendly anymore because his face has been this kind of blank slate that she's been interpreting in all these different ways and suddenly she couldn't grasp the friendliness. Karen Russell is a beautiful writer by the way. There's some sentences and descriptions of all sorts of things, senility, old age homes that I, I just are incredibly memorable and beautiful. But she hears her mom's voice and her mom says, I can read the whole thing, but he says, the bird man is just a man, honey. I mean, he speaks like, she it, it's such a mom's voice that she hears in her head. And that's when you feel like Ava's becoming a woman in some weird way. She's hearing her mom's voice correctly, not in mythology. And she's identifying with her mom's voice. She hears it, you know, exactly as if her mom were still there. And
1: it, yet that mythology it's still powerful to her later when she's running away from the Birdman because she summons it when she goes through this, you know, birth canal essentially. Right. And not see, If you didn't see that, there was a huge neon sign that comes with the book that <laughs> says birth canal. <laughs> right. Anyway, when she's running away, she pulls on the mother's mythology. So you can – Recognize that myth has been punctured and is therefore doesn't have the same value and yet it can still have in its component parts these things that still glow that you can still access which she clearly does even though she comes to this more adult But see, that's what mom. I
2: love about the novel is sort of yeah. what happens in all its flaws and it's kind of when I read it the second time, I, I sort of realized how thin it was. I was so drawn to it the first time and to the whole world and the second time, I you know, the, the plot seemed creaky to me and I realized the mother died in the first page and then it's all this sort of weird putting together of these, you know, it just didn't quite quite work as well. But but I love that idea that when you puncture the myth, you know, then you're still drawing a little bits and pieces of it. Yeah. And and the, and that what's on the other side of the myth, which is also handled crudely, we haven't talked about Kiwi yet, and we will in a second, you know, is it, that she did with a very like punch, you know, but it's still it's important to know, like, it's not just oh, yeah, that you I'm puncture the myth you. and go on to uh, your realistic uh, life. Uh, no, I'm agreeing
1: with you. I, I think that's right. I agree with that. And I thought that was well rendered and true. So yeah, I agree.
2: Can I read this passage from the mother? Because I, I liked it. It stuck with me so much. The birdman is just a man, honey. This is Ava hearing her mother's voice. He's more lost out here than you are. The birdman has no idea where he's taking you. And if he does, well, that's much worse. And you won't find your sister anywhere near here, Ava. And I would run, honey, personally. I just I love that. I love that. Right.
0: And then there's this beautiful description as she comes out of the birth canal where she says, <laughs> In the cave, I think she must have lent me some of it, her courage, because the strength I felt then was as huge as the sun, the yellow inside you that makes you want to live. And it's also very moving. I will admit that. I agree. I agree about that part of it. I think this book has flashes of, you know, of real... Intense Okay-ness. raw emotion. In <laughs> well,
1: can we before we get to Kiwi? Can I just say on the writing, there were times where you know she dropped in these little you know nuggets that were gorgeous. I mean, when she talks about Kiwi's friend having a break time smile, like, right. hmm. It requires a real understanding of like to understand that that's a different kind of smile. And so in that case, there were these instances where it was just beautiful. At one point, she there was something that was like swallowing a gallon of melted pennies, which I thought, wow, that's you know that just and then their interspersed with each one of those were things like where she said, I watched one sentence come after another, like knotted magician scarves. And I thought, trying too hard.
2: Right, right. And
1: then there would be another great one. And then there would be, you know, like neighbors coming right. up to the stars of a barbed fence. And I thought. She not loves like the metaphor, right? And I thought there, everything can't be like everything else, or else we're all just going to be this sentence is like a sentence after a sentence, right?
0: I mean, this is a young writer who's developing her novelist sense, and we'd rather have her erring on the side of too much than too little, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, she no, not necessarily. <laughs> <but> she, <laughs> I mean, I don't like the ones where she gets too big, like the swallowing the sun ones, are the ones that thudded for me. But then she had it's the ones where she deals with actually universal family moments, like she talks. about about lying to her dad, lying to Chief Big Tree was like going on a freezing, freezing a lake of ice and skating over it. And I love that idea of like you're just trying to skate over that, like you're just trying to get quickly through that lie. It feels all wrong. You feel wobbly while you're doing you're doing it, and you just want to get to the other side. I thought that was quite, quite brilliant. And she has um, a description of Grandpa Sawtooth's senility, where she describes his memory as blinking on and off like the weird erratic energy of a light bulb in a torment. And I thought, oh, that's really great. I mean, the way that when you have someone who's senile, you know, it all feels wrong and the sort of energy of them coming at you. And sometimes they're seeing things and then just as quickly they're not seeing things. Even her description of Victorian dresses as lizard frilled dresses, I thought was Mm. was really, really great.
0: A good swamp simile. So let's talk a little bit about the mainland. Kiwi absconds. He then becomes a trader by doing the only kind of paid work he can get at this kind of totally cheesy amusement park where everyone has deserted swamplandia to go to this place which is called World of Wonders. No, World of Darkness. No, World of, World
2: Darkness. of Darkness. <laughs> Darkness.
0: Thank you. Sam yes, Marie.
2: because there's the, you know, there's the trip to the underworld and then there's the trip to the underworld. Right. The campy underworld and the sort of invented underworld, you know. They're both right. they're and- both kind of mythologies. One is a horrible, disgusting, gum-filled amusement park and, you know, The other is. And the
0: other is a scary swamp. Exactly. And Kiwi's coming of age has to do with becoming a normal teenager. It's figuring out how to relate to other boys his age, how to tell them to go fuck themselves every other sentence so that they will not torment and terrorize him because he just seems like such a freak show. What did you think of this part of the narrative, John?
1: I like the break from Ava's voice, frankly. I kind of liked Kiwi, and maybe it's just because I'm a boy that I did, although I don't think so. Cause, no, but I, I liked I, Kiwi, I, too. I, I had all kinds of trouble with Ava. For me, one of the tests of a great novel that is, at least the writing I like, is that after you read a certain number of pages, you start walking around, and the narrator in your head is seeing things and describing them the way the narrator in the book did. And there's something that lasts, and I thought— the narrator with Kiwi was like that and I felt like all of the constructs of the Kiwi section were not as kind of blatant and watch me write, watch me set this up. Now the the whole Jonah in the whale at, – so at the world of um, – at the darkness. I was going to say, of the world of awfulness, at the world of uh, darkness, there is this huge leviathan, and so it seemed to me like the flashing neon sign was, you know, the story of Jonah and the whale. Right? He goes into the belly of the whale and has these revelations, and is comes he rebels out. Rebels
2: against and his father. Rebels right. against
1: the father. The Have Jesus, to brush the, the chief. The teeth. The, right. right. And so I was kind of like, on one hand, I was kind of like, okay, great, I got it, Jonah. And then on the other hand, I was like, well, wait, but I was trying to. Then I spent all my time trying to connect the dots. And so that slightly irritated me. But anyway, I thought the drowning scene was – The 100 pages before it had been kind of leading up to this moment, which I felt like every sentence was nailed. Say what it
2: is. Nailed
1: perfectly. So Kiwi is slowly moving his way up the ladder at this horrible amusement park and he finally gets sufficiently trained. He's a striver and he's trying to get enough money to save Swamplandia. Even when he has 14 bucks, he sends it to the bank that uh, his dad owes all this money to to try and keep it going. And one of the ways he's going to survive is to either go work at the burger joint across the street or he's going to learn how to – be uh, a lifeguard, and then he's going to learn how to fly, to um, fly these. Uh, so his strivery ends up, in a sense, saving the family in a way, and we can talk about and that And definitely
0: a saving Osceola.
1: Right, definitely saving Osceola, but also, save, well, his sister's saved by the, the rangers. Anyway, he's a lifeguard, and a girl starts to drown. in this, Emily. Emily, yes. Emily starts to drown in the blood-red swimming area, and he dives in and has this kind of confused... Uh, he's kind of rescuing her but it, but almost by accident really and then I he I thought he really
0: a, was rescuing her Yeah, I no, I think he was. It. He
1: didn't realize it. It was reaction. And it's interesting because Ava's the one who's the the Gator wrestler and he's the kind of non-athletic, never really participates in the show, right? right. He's kind of an outcast in terms of the family's athleticism. Of course, Aussie o- is too, but compared to Ava, and yet he's the one who pulls off this great feat. He becomes kind of a celebrity. His but name- it's
2: unclear whether he pulls off the feat. What is clear is that he and Emily collude in a now the kind of modern day reality, not reality, I guess it's more talk show version of... The Geraldo of, moment. Yes, yeah, so they have a Geraldo moment, and they they sort of mutually create a Geraldo moment for a show which is called Jenny Just Spills It among other, <laughs> among <laughs> other shows. So you don't really know what happened under there except that Emily really is going to. Uh, collude with Kiwi in and, making this a big damn deal and, right? and
1: it's another myth and so we have a myth you know myth creation uh, I- inside this new narrative in one sense he's reluctant to participate in it and yet all these bountiful things come is his friends stop calling him Margaret, uh, Margaret Mead which, <laughs> which is a very actually the funny thing about the Margaret Mead, the Margaret Mead joke okay. is very knowing and sort of elite for his friends to yes. be calling him that, um, which – and they're all sort of knuckleheads supposedly. But anyway, he gets – you know, they call him by his real name. He has – this leads to his first sexual encounter, which also is, I thought, well-described. He uh, had
2: the duck the chandelier of her jewelry to find her lips. She, You're not supposed I, to like this Emily character. I didn't
1: – I liked better the line about when he's moving in and he stops his hand and it's. it says he left his hand there like a bookmark. Right. I thought that was <laughs> – that was better for me than right. the chandelier. I thought, you know, that's <laughs> – And also because the chandelier is kind of a, you know that. that, But bookmark, you don't expect the word bookmark to come in the middle of a. uh, um, But it
2: would occur to Kiwi, who's sort of you know who who lives kind of he's 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 way too cerebral for the situations he finds himself in. Now let me interrupt to ask a girl question, Emily. You know, in the twinning of sort of what happens to all of these characters, one thing I wasn't sure how I felt about was the fact that the sexual awakening happens in a completely destructive. Way for the girls. I mean, sort of tragically so for Ava, almost tragically so for Aussie, who's completely demented in her sexuality, and triumphantly for Kiwi. And I, I didn't know what to, what to think about that. Like, why Kiwi gets off so easy? You know, he's out there slumming it with his buddies, including the requisite American, you know, Indian—not American Indian, but Indian person. Which there's always a sort of Indian sidekick in every sitcom, uh, which Karen Russell must be aware of. He's like the character from Parks and VJ. VJ is like the character from Parks and. So I don't know. What do you feel about that? There was such a danger around female sexuality and such a kind of comedy, you know, a sort of sit comedy about Kiwi's first sexual encounter.
0: Now, I'm not sure if it's a problem in the book because it's not as if that can't be one way of thinking about boys and girls' sexuality, but it, it certainly feels uncreative. It, it's sort of, you know, the Caitlin Flanagan ruined girl trope of female sexuality. And I think for me, it also linked up with the children's feelings about their parents. We see Kiwi really rebel against his father and then actually punch his grandfather or sort of in self-defense, almost strangle his grandfather. We really see the men kind of go to war, and we see Kiwi deal with that, whereas the girls are much more in this situation of kind of passively waiting to be rescued, wanting their father to come back. It's much more of the kind of loving, uh, dependent daughter relationship. Yeah, I mean, the girls
2: are in great danger in an island without men, and the men are not in great danger in an island without women. I mean, they're well, sort of fumbling Well, I guess so, around, but this but... was why
0: I resented the Birdman and the fact that the minute you know he, the minute he shows up, he spells doom and disaster. I mean, 13- or 12-year-old girls are just not supposed to go off with strange men, particularly strange men who are wearing some smelly old coat covered with bird feathers. This cannot end well. And I that I don't know I just didn't that just didn't do it for me.
2: Mhm. John, do you have anything to say on that, the boy girl element? Because if not, I want to talk about Grandpa Sawtooth.
1: No, let's, uh, let's, I think let's move on to Grandpa Well, there's two Sawtooth. other
2: great incidents to talk about. One is the one where Kiwi encounters his father at the gaming resort. That's an incredibly sad moment, partly because he is using the same language that he used to introduce Halola Tree. This woman has more talent in her pinky finger than you have. You know, see, Kiwi hears these phrases that his father used so lovingly and and, you know, Halola and Chief Big Tree had a complicated relationship, and there's really, I think, very poignant ways in which Ava starts to realize the complications of her parents' relationship. But in the moment of the show, there was some kind of deep, earnest sincerity in his and the spotlight following Halola. It's supposed to be both sort of suffocating and beautiful and romantic all in one. Whereas now he's using that same language, transported into the most pathetic, sad situation of these women who are, you know, who are or aren't prostitutes who are or aren't sort of sadly strutting across the stage. So that was a very And it's very this moment sad. of kind
0: of dark realism in the book because you realize it's also faded in the book that this family is going to lose Swamplandia. Mm-hmm. And when we see that this is Chief Big Tree's way of making money essentially to be kind of second-rate carnival barker, it's underscored for us that this is the fate of the family. And in fact, I actually thought that with all the buildup around... The park and the mythology and the island that the letting go of it is quite understated in a way that I liked. John, what did you think?
1: The book resolves very fast. I mean it's sort of the struggle to keep it going – And then sort of there's this big denouement and that's it. The book's over. Right. They move back to the – they're on the mainland. This thing they've been resisting for their whole lives both physically and also mentally and then boom, they're in it. It's kind of – that's it and we're left with this very weird ending. They're suddenly in this world and a part of this world that they've been resisting for the entire book.
2: Before we get to the very, very end, can I just say one thing about Grandpa Sawtooth? I love the encounter between Kiwi and Grandpa Sawtooth. So essentially what happens is Kiwi goes to Grandpa Sawtooth, who is, as I said earlier, senile. You know, he flickers in and out of the truth. He lives in an old age home in which everyone is described as looking like Easter eggs because they dress them up in uh, pastel pajamas. And I, you're reminded of basically Peep's dioramas from her description, you know, that they put the Easter eggs on the you know couch and then they move the Easter eggs to the bed and they move them here and there. And so Kiwi goes there stupid looking for satisfaction. He wants to know truths. He wants to know if, you know, does Grandpa Sawtooth understand that Halola died? You know, does he know anything? Does he know how much money they're losing? And this is the moment where Kiwi, who represents a sort of cynical realism, you know, is supposed to be taking us to the moment of reckoning. And yet, I think very cleverly, Karen Russell is not going to let us have that reckoning. She's not going to let Kiwi have it because that's not what it's about. It's right. not about puncturing the myth and getting to the truth. That's not what's going to get you anywhere. And so he has this unbelievably unsatisfying and actually, you know, demented, violent encounter with his senile grandfather whom he beats up.
1: Who he beats up when he tells the grandfather that Halal is dead. He breaks the myth. The right. grandfather doesn't seem to be taking in any information. I mean, it, there's just no reception on his end and then when he tells him that Hillel is dead, the r- grandfather has this violent reaction. You know, you're know, you not clear that's why he's violently reacting but it makes some – a certain sense which gives you again the power of the myth when it's broken, the, the reaction is violent.
2: But, but that's the, not where you're supposed to end up. You're not supposed to end up where Aussie is, kind of deeply lost in a in a kind of ill fantasy. Nor fog. are you supposed to end, yeah, yeah, end up in sort of you know a listing of facts and truths about of dismal facts and truths about your family.
1: Right. Although that's but where I you're think, supposed to end up. No, 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 hold, no, 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 no. no, 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 no. You you're get to, not. You're supposed to end up with the broken okay. pieces of the myth that are still right. illuminating, which I think that is are what happens. That
0: still sustaining. But I
1: think, and Kiwi gets there with the father because he hates the father, but then he has this when he sees his father in the casino in this depressing way. I mean he has – there's this pure love reaction and um, I think maybe because it's a truth he now knows like he can feel like I always – I felt with Kiwi, it was the, – the myth is broken into pieces and what is between them is truths. He actually gain, gains more nourishment from the truths and having a few clear ones that he can hold on to is what sort of sustains him more than uh, the continuation of the myth. But uh, that may not be right.
0: To wrap this up, are these kids going to be OK? Did you think about their futures as they've had to move to mainland Florida?
1: With, with the exception of Aussie. Do, we mentioned that basically when he rescues Aussie – Kiwi rescues Ossie because he lands his plane that he's learning how to fly so that he can earn more money, lands his plane, she's there uh, and he rescues her and he sees that in the distance a noose has been made and the noose was what Ossie was going to – she was going to hang herself in order to marry Louis Thanksgiving and according to Ossie, he wouldn't go through with it which means that that portion of her brain told her not to do it but that it was sort of that close –
0: and at least the mainland has supplied her with some prescription drugs at the end. Right. Exactly. And then it's like better
1: living through pharmacology.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, then you just have to sort of wrap up the novel. I mean, it is, you know, the plot is, you know, it's a little unsophisticated. And so you have to be a little generous at the end when Kiwi just happens to land his plane and there's an Aussie standing there. And, you know, Ava hears her voice being called and it all gets wrapped up. And, you know, I guess what you're supposed to be left with is a sense that they have scars. And maybe that's what Ava's rape is actually also partly about is otherwise a Eva is really, you know, sort of a cheerful coming of age who lives in a different novel than her other relatives who are clearly going to be scarred, you know, Kiwi because he bears the weight of the world on his shoulder just by temperament, Chief Bigtree because he is going to lose Swamplandia and, you know, be left in a world of debt and Aussie because she's mentally ill.
0: But Ava loses Swamplandia, too. I don't actually think she had to be raped. She loses Swamplandia,
2: but you can that's true. I mean, you can imagine Ava is going to grow up and be, you know, some sort of zoologist (laughs) animal key. I mean, there's lots of great career opportunities available for a sort of brave animal loving person such as Ava. So they carry on with the kind of scars and the memory of family love, and it all gets wrapped up quite cheerfully, but appropriately.
0: John, would you recommend this book?
1: No. For this reason, it was much more fun talking with you guys about it than it was going through it, reading it.
0: Agree. I feel like Hannah added I, all these layers. <laughs> well, and I, so I did you. Like, I was well, so no, much
1: more appreciative. But though. the layers, and the, I felt like not to match the book's voice by coming up with matter, but it's kind of like one of these impossibly difficult board games that people are loving. And I think the lattice work of all the interlocking myths and puncturing of myths and kind of hard work of here's a symbol and here's another symbol and it's echoing this symbol and I was wearied by the kind of structure of the whole thing which felt at times obvious and not carrying me along in a way that I wanted to and I loved those passages where I was carried along where the transference of message and metaphor and multiple levels of meaning was conveyed in a more kind of clean way by sort of osmosis as opposed to Point one. This is a reference to this. Point two. This is an echo of that. You know where, and so I felt patchy in that way. But I, I actually have quite enjoyed talking with about it with you all.
2: <laughs> you know what Anna. I'm going to say. I would say I would definitely selectively recommend it. That is, I'm not going to recommend it to the excessive realists in my life, such as the one that I'm married to. But I will. <laughs> 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 that I happen to be married to, you know. But I would recommend it to certain people that I can think of, and in fact, I'm going to actively do that because I would like to see if anybody was romanced by the novel the way I was, and if maybe it was just due to the fact that I was coming back from a bleary eyed, you know, midnight to midnight reporting trip and reading it mostly on the plane. Um, but see, I if think someone there else definitely are the people. I, do.
0: I think you're not alone. I, there were many kind reviews, and I, I'm really interested in what Karen Russell does next yes on that note thank you so much for joining us it's been really fun thanks guys thank you thanks everyone. bye